Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome to Seahawks Forever. It is Mock Draft Monday. Uh, today, I'll be sharing a mock draft I did based on a couple of simple principles. Uh, just the consensus desire to add players at the positions of biggest need. Just trying to keep it simple today. And sort of going off of uh, some reports of uh, team interest and also trying to combine that with a lot of conversations I've had with you guys about what you want and what you want to try to accomplish in the first three rounds. A full seven-round draft, but that'll be my focus. We'll get to that later in the show. I'm going to talk about the concept of context today, taking the entire draft class as a whole, not overreacting to each and every pick. I know it's harder to do than ever, especially since the league split the draft up into three days, but I'll try to get you ready for that. And then my fave five series continues. I'll unveil my five favorite centers uh, as potential Seahawk targets. And I think there's an honorable mention in there as well. First of all, please like and subscribe on YouTube. If you're watching the show, the live stream, either during the live stream or after, uh, it's the best way to ensure uh, and help the growth of the channel. Uh, but first, before we get to that, let's bring Dana O'Gorman into the show. You remember her, right? My former co-host on the Field Goals podcast, also a regular writer and podcaster for Our Turf and a contributor to the Real Hawk Talk group over there as well. Dana, it's good to see you. It is. It's been a minute, sir. We haven't <laughs> chatted for a while now. Time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> Time flies during draft. I've, <laughs> I've tried to tell people this. I don't know if they believe me, but I kind of, and you know this about me, I, like, I, I enjoy this time of year maybe as much as the regular season, at least as far as uh, talking about it goes, because there's just so many changing, evolving stories, whereas the season, you know, kind of gets into a, a repetitive routine. Um, I, I love this time of year. I dig it. And part of me is excited for the draft to be here in a week and a half. But then I'm always a little sad when it's over, too. Well, it gets really into the true dead period, right, mm -hmm. of of football is, is after the draft and after rookie camp. And then you hit that May, June kind of humdrum that isn't a lot of fun for football fans, you know. But um, but until then, we get to enjoy this draft and, and enjoy – all the the possibilities that are coming up and and i say that i've said this a couple of times as a seahawks fan i think this draft is really exciting because they did so well last year during the draft and hit on so many great players and really made a huge impact on the team but also they have the opportunity to do that this year all over again and then you put two great drafts back to back and that can just change the course of a team right the interesting thing about this draft, and I'm sure you've discussed this a million times over and everyone else really realizes, is that there's still a lot of ways for this draft to go really right for Seattle. Mm -hmm. There are a few, I mean, we never know what they're going to pull out of a hat. I mean, we have to remember who our head coach and general manager are. They do odd right. things sometimes. But this draft, it feels like there's a lot of ways to truly get it right and it might not be your favorite player and it might not be, you know, PFF or somebody else's big board's favorite player, but that doesn't mean it's not going to go right for Seattle. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and I've tried in some of the simulations I've done, I, I've tried to create scenarios that I didn't think I would like. And, mm -hmm. and it's hard. Like I, I like so many players in this, in this draft. And I also think that John and Pete have 
kind of regained our trust. You know, that mm -hmm. five or six year period there where they were pretty widely panned for how their drafts went. Last year was considered by many to be the best draft in the league, if not one of the mm -hmm. top three, I think as a consensus. And so, you know, I, I, I think at least I know personally, I'm trying to take the tactic as I, as I look ahead to this draft that no matter what they do, I trust them more than maybe I did a couple of years ago that they last year was that first year in a while that they, it just didn't feel like they were, they got too cute. Like they were overthinking things. Right. right. Um, really the only scenarios I don't like, and it's being talked about again today, I saw a report about maybe the Texans are backing off a quarterback. They're looking to move down with the Seahawks move up to two. The only scenarios I see that I really don't love is them aggressively moving up at any point, just because there's so many needs to address and there's so many players I like that I just don't want them to spend too much draft capital to move up. But but let's start with this. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about number five, because you and I haven't talked about this for a couple of months now. Sure. Where do you currently sit as far as A, quarterback or not quarterback, and B, where do you sit on the whole Jalen Carter thing based on everything you know today? So um, I, I have not wavered in the entire off season about this. I absolutely am no go on a quarterback at five. I don't care if CJ Stroud is sitting there or not. And that's the one everyone's like, well, Dana, what if CJ Stroud is there? What if yeah. CJ Stroud is there? He CJ seems Stroud to be is there. Falling. Let someone else move up and give us a boatload of picks for him. Right? Like I just, it's just not a big enough need. And I, I'm very interested in getting a quarterback in this draft, but not the later rounds. There is, a lot of good quarterbacks that you will be able to get past round three. You do not have to jump for this hmm. for what Seattle needs them for. They don't need an immediate starter. They just don't. They right. have Gino for that. They have Gino for that for probably the next couple of years. That doesn't mean you don't want some young quarterback who might be, you know, the golden ticket of this year. We don't know. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and so I, I just am a no go on a quarterback sitting at five and I haven't changed in that. And that's not because I don't like quarterbacks, which sure. I get a lot of people. They're like, you just don't <laughs> like offense. You're right. I know, but I like defense, but yeah. that did the defense was, is such a bigger pressing need. And I am also very okay with them. Um, drafting Jalen Carter. I, this is not something that I, um, have changed on either. Uh, yes, there were some off field, you know, issues that is not going to be an issue. Basically that situation has been done and handled and, and is taken care of in his legal situation. The only thing that really could change things up really is these concerns. And I say concerns because we have to remember what time of year it is. This is the blowing everything out of a portion mountain out of a molehill mm. and just straight up lying about players and not just Jalen across the board. All of a sudden everyone's dropped on CJ Stroud. I'm like, really? Okay. So I think that we just have to remember that this is the manipulation season yeah. right before the draft. I like Jalen Carter. I think that he's a blue chip player. Does he have a risk? He absolutely has a risk about him. There is concern about whether or not he takes, you know, plays off, whether or not he puts in full effort all of the time. I wonder Never met the kid, haven't chatted with him. Um, and I forgot to look and see if he was on my draft list. So I don't know that I'll get to meet him at the draft or not. Mm. But um, I think that um, 
what has happened is his pro day was a disaster. And I'm really hoping that that was a learning moment for him that he's not going to be, maybe he phoned in his college, you know, uh, games and, and all, cause he was so talented. So he didn't have to put in a ton of effort and he was still considered one of the best. Yeah. What happens if you harness that and that drive a little bit, what happens when you get him into a pro situation and the vets around him go, dude, that's not how it works. This isn't college anymore. You know, yeah. he could just come up and like really, you know, rise to the task or he could fall apart. So there is definitely some risk there, but I just think that you can't deny that talent level. And I would, if his name comes up at number five with Seattle, I will be thrilled. Yeah. I'm the same way. I talked about it uh, the other day on the show that, and on Twitter extensively that like, I, I can talk myself into it being a bad idea, but if John and Pete are satisfied after meeting with him last week, that he's worth the risk then, then I'm going to trust them on that. And, and kind of like what we talked about just a minute ago. And, and in part, because they have put such an emphasis the last couple of years on high character players that now they have a whole locker room full of them. Like they, they draft guys that are captains and have been leaders of their team. And there's no question about their work ethic and their approach to football. If you brought Jalen Carter into a situation where maybe that was a little bit more tenuous then, then I could see the risk. And, and really, and you made a great point. There's risk no matter which way you go. That's the problem with this draft. I talked about it last week. Did they, did they end up having bad timing? You know, the year they finally get a, a number five pick. There's nobody on this draft board. They could take it number five that universally everyone would agree. That's a home run. That's a slam dunk. Slam dunk. That's a can't miss prospect. Not even if Stroud falls because he falls for a reason. There's questions mm-hmm. about him. Um, there are major questions about Jalen Carter. There's questions about Tyree Wilson and his explosiveness and his scheme fit. There's questions about taking, you know, there's been a lot of talk this week about a corner, right? Their, mm-hmm. their interest in Devin Witherspoon seems to be gr- gaining a lot of momentum. He was in Seattle kind of secretly a couple of days ago. We saw it on his Instagram story. There's risk in that of taking a corner that high. So there isn't a slam dunk. So it's just about which risk fits your team the best. John always talks Mm -hmm. about building their draft board based on their roster and which risk they think might have the higher payoff. So I think if you were to pick one player that we know is going to go probably, well, we know it was going to go in the top five. That is a, the safest and absolute, will contribute to your team is Will Anderson. The thing with Will Anderson is that he doesn't seem to be the guy that's going to explode and change your team, but he is going to be a solid, consistent, adds to the team, good, good to great player. It doesn't mean he's blue chip. Doesn't mean he's, you know, Aaron Donald and he's going to come in and change the world or any of the, you know, how that, how big of a change that was for Atlanta or I'm sorry for LA, but he still is going to be, you are getting a good player. There is almost no risk. The reward might be a little lower than some of the other players might give you. But at the same time, I think that he is going to be the safest, easiest. Yes, that was a good, good pick player. Yeah. And that plays to your point that this is that time of year where people overanalyze and people leak and people try to maneuver, um, so that they, the draft falls their way. And, mm-hmm. you know, we saw it again just yesterday. Peter King reporting that many teams in the NFL have moved Tyree Wilson ahead of Will Anderson on their draft board and that Will Anderson may fall to five. And it's funny how we we kind of just assume that now for a couple of weeks 
there was a, there was a time there where we were talking quite a bit about the potential of him being there at five. And then that kind of became a foregone conclusion. He's going to be gone. I think we're kind of back to that again. Will Anderson may be in play there at five and he is the safest pick, but again, there's reasons there's, there's concern. There's scouts that think he can't build on his frame, that he's maxed out, that what he is now is what he's going to be that, and that he's not that as dynamic as people thought he was two years ago when he was racking up all those sack numbers. So, um, that's the mystery of the fifth pick. Um, and it's, it's why, it's why, it's why the Seahawks, I think are the storyline of the first night of the draft. Well, it, they really are. And I've heard that from a lot of national media members that, you know, the, the, the first big story is going to be young or Stroud, right? Do the Panthers take, you know, steal Bryce young from the Texans. Right. And so then the Texans either have to decide if they're going to take a quarterback, are they going to take Stroud or then they're going to say, you know what, we're going with Richardson or whatever it may be. I think it would be idiotic for Houston to not take a quarterback. I mean, maybe, yes, we all know. I mean, it's very obvious that Bryce Young is their guy. Um, Sounds but like it. it's, yeah. it's obvious too, that they're not going to trade up to get him that pan And maybe that's the Panthers play. We have to keep that in mind. They're going to say, Oh, we like young. We like young, like young. So maybe they can get Houston bump up one to get him and they get some extra picks. I just don't think that shifting is going to happen. So we'll have, that'll be the first one to see what happens. Is it Stroud or is it young? This, and then after, uh-huh, go ahead. I was just going to, sorry. I thought you were going to pause there for a second. Just got a, an interesting comment uh, from a listener. How can we look at Jalen hurts and say no to Anthony Richardson at five hurts today signing a uh, five year, $255 million extension. He's the highest paid player in the NFL. And when he came out just a few years ago, there were people who labeled him as just a guy who was an athlete who can run and couldn't throw. Interesting comparison here from this viewer. Yeah, for sure. So the next big storyline after that, then you have to see what Houston does. Does Houston, or I'm sorry, not Houston, excuse me, um, Arizona. Does Arizona trade out that pick? And yeah. so we'll see what happens. And that seems to be leaning more and more because they're going to need more and more players because all of them are bailing on the, on the Cardinals now with Buda Baker wanting a trade yeah. too. So we'll see what happens with them um, and, and see how that works out. After that, I still truly believe three quarterbacks will go in the top in the top four. I yeah. really do. I know there's been a lot of talk. All of a sudden, it's only going to be two, maybe even only one. This, you know, Richardson's going to fall. Levi in or uh, Levis, excuse me. He um, now I saw a comp to him the other day. Oh, he's Daniel Jones. Well, no one's going to run for Daniel Jones. No. You know what I mean? So right. we have to start thinking how that's going to work up. I still think there'll be three that go. I really do. So. Um, then it comes into who is sitting there for Seattle. And so yeah. I think that that'll be really a fantastic storyline. And we're hearing a lot about what does Seattle do? What does Seattle do? What I think we can all almost guarantee is they are not going to move up. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't either. I, I just don't. I, I think it, even today they released five players, practice squad ish type players, mm -hmm. um, and, and they didn't need to, you know, and so they, they only have 52 players on their 90 man roster right now. And I think they're just preparing for the fact that they're going to add a boatload of draft picks and undrafted free agents. And a lot of those guys are going to have an opportunity to make to make the roster. So mm -hmm. uh, I think you're right. Moving up to, later in the draft when you don't have to give up as much, you know, John's mm -hmm. done yeah. that pretty successfully um, over the years. But moving up to two or three, three does doesn't make sense because I don't think the Cardinals are going to hand us something no. that might end up coming back to bite them. Yeah. And I just have a hard time believing that the Texans are really thinking about moving off too. If they, if they go mm -hmm. non quarterback and then take the wrong guy later or have trouble finding a quarterback, that whole regime will be fired. It, it just mm -hmm. seems like an, an odd decision on their part.
Um, tell me this. So you and I have talked about this, uh, including this morning that, uh, you enjoy the draft, but it's not something you do a deep dive on, but I know that you look at it enough to where there's some players out there that intrigue you that you would love to see in a Seahawk uniform as you Mm -hmm. just kind of look at some of the pre-draft chatter and, and watch whatever it is, um, that's out there. Uh, who are some guys that you like that you would be ecstatic to see their name called at the podium? Well, I really, truly am pretty diehard on the fact that the Seahawks need uh, one of the two top centers. I really mm. would love to see them grab, um, I call him John Jacob Jingle yeah. Schmidt, but we <laughs> all know the, who's John Michael You're Schmidt. the first one I heard um, say that. Right, exactly. And so I would love to see him grab um, him or um, Luke, I think it's Weipler is how you say it. I think that that is one of those two um, top centers, I think would be, it would be a sign from Seattle to the fan base that they get it right. They get that they have undervalued that position for so long. They get that they need help there. They, you know, that they get that. I think that that's really important. Um, I don't mind the idea of Devin Witherspoon. I know that's been kind of a talking point lately. I think that's a great idea. I think the kid is really, um, so athletic and he would fit well in a Seattle system. Um, I also don't hate Joey Porter Jr., but I think I can't decide if that's my heart wanting to have Joey Porter Jr. on the team or not. But that was great, too. Um, Obviously, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, either one of those. Those are obvious. Those are must-haves, right, in my opinion. Um, Then a couple of other players. Um, I have been looking into um, Mazzy Smith a little bit lately. Mm, I think that he would be really good in Seattle. Um, I've had conversations with Sonia from Our Turf, who actually is a huge – is a huge Michigan fan. And, um, and then, um, Jeff Simmons and I have talked about it, that he's, he's just really a, a pretty impressive athlete. Um, and then there's Kalijah Cansey and I can't decide okay. if I like him because of the other people I do podcasts with who are obsessed with him. And so I've just heard a lot about him, but I, he's interesting to me. Yes. He has short arms guys. We know that, right. We understand that he's short of everything. Yeah, he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he is such an interesting prospect and he seems to have, you know, so much power and, and I, I don't know, he's very intriguing to me. Um, and then, uh, there's just, I mean, really just a o- Osiris Torrance. I know that O-line isn't necessarily, you know, I, I think it's really important right now. Yeah. A lot of people talk about Dewan Jones. The thing with Dewan Jones is that I have no interest in moving a Lucas. So that's, you know, we do, I don't want to have to be shuffling those players around just to fit him in. Um, and so that's really interesting to me, but Osiris Torrance, um, and I actually prefer him over, is it Skronsky? Is that how you say his yeah. name? Yeah. The but from Northwestern. Um, I think that he would be a good fit too, but these are names that a lot of people talk about. And the reason yeah. that they talk about them is because number one, they're really good fits for Seattle. I, I don't know that Ty- I got absolutely lambasted on Twitter when I said, you know, I guess I wouldn't hate the idea of, um, of uh, Tyree Wilson coming and so oh my god this person just ripped me up and down he doesn't fit he doesn't do this he doesn't do that blah 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 da, da, da. I was like yeah okay but here's the thing none of these players are going to be perfect at, you know fits at first you have to get them into your system there's some that seem to make more sense and so a lot of the guys that I keep hearing about and I'm interested in are a lot of the guys that a lot of Seahawks bloggers and people who talk about the team and media are interested in and they're interested in them for a reason and it's because they seem to fit so well yeah he's a he's an interesting one i don't know i i've seen the same thing i i don't know 
where the the bulk of the fan base that doesn't like Tyree Wilson is getting their information. It, it feels like early in the process, maybe they read one report or something because the guys I talk to, guys like Griffin Sturgeon, guys who break down X's and O's and understand it at a level that I can't even comprehend sometimes, say that he absolutely is a scheme fit, that they can use him in certain ways. And then, oh, by the way, and I've t- talked about this until I'm blue in the face, the Seahawks don't run a pure 3-4. They have elements of a 4-3. It's a hybrid. They have mm-hmm. even-numbered yep. fronts and odd-numbered fronts, and there's guys that can play defensive end or outside linebacker. It's sort of a hybrid position. And, oh, yeah, you can put 15 pounds on Tyree Wilson make him a defensive end. So I, he's an interesting one. Um, yeah. It's it's, uh, it's cool to hear your thoughts on Devin Witherspoon. I'm late to that, too. I tended to think, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, quarter, cornerback high seems to be a missed opportunity at something else. But if there isn't another slam-dunk defensive tackle or uh, position of need like that, Man, all you got to do is turn on the Devin Witherspoon tape and mm-hmm. he's just, he's so impressive. He's blowing people up like a linebacker. Mm-hmm. He's sticking with them. Teams in the Big Ten just stopped throwing his way. They didn't stop throwing Joey Porter's way or Christian Gonzalez's Fair. way, but they mm-hmm. stopped throwing Devin Witherspoon's way. And for any fan that says that's too high for a corner, the Seahawks haven't done that. Allow yourself to think about teams that we've had to face over the years that have two lockdown corners. It's, it makes it tough. If you think about pairing Tyreek Willen, as as much as Mike Jackson played really solid, and I think he's a good player, he's not Mm -hmm. a lockdown corner. He's not an all-pro type guy. You get two of those guys, and that makes it easier on the guys up front and everything else. So I am increasingly intrigued. We've got one viewer here with the comment on the screen. Thoughts Mm -hmm. on Benton. He's talking about Keanu Benton. Stay tuned, my friends. Stay tuned to Go Hawks 2023. (laughs) Uh, And maybe talking about him a little bit in my mock draft later today. Yeah. Uh, tell me this, Wisconsin. It, you got. I love. I love a big Wisconsin boy. Yeah, I love a big Wisconsin boy. <laughs> Why not bring him on in? Why right. Not, There's sure. two yeah. Wisconsin players I like a lot, and there I just yeah. foreshadowed again. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and there's a third one that I almost yeah that the Seahawks have looked at. So uh, tell me this. Not not yeah. everyone knows this, but you're in Kansas City. I am. And the draft is in Kansas City next week. It is. <laughs> Isn't that handy? What's ha- <laughs> Has have they started setting up? Is the has the has the crew gotten there? What's the buzz like in Kansas City right now? It's chaos right now. Well, hmm. you have to understand. Okay, so when Kansas City was three years ago, I believe that they got this draft. And there was a lot of stipulations that came with it, which was kind of fascinating. So Kansas City literally just opened in February a brand new, like three billion dollar airport. Like it's hmm. beautiful. Okay. The NFL said, you better, you have to have that done or else we aren't coming. And so they had to have that done. Then um, they also had to expand our streetcar system, which is our, you know, little, our little subway, but it's above ground, above ground subway, I guess. Um, and so they had to do all kinds of stuff. So it, the draft is going to be at Union Station, which is this big, beautiful old train station. And it's going to be right in front of it, which directly across the street from it is the World War One Museum, the National World War One Museum, which has hmm. this big, beautiful monument. So it is in one of the most gorgeous parts of town. And it has been blocked off for two weeks. You can't get anywhere near it right now. Now you can still get into Union Station, but you have to go in the back entrance. I think it's an employee entrance. So they have been setting up, they've been getting everything ready. The hype is just crazy. Um, The um, Uber um, surge charge has already gone up. Like it already cost too much to go. Can't even imagine. Every hotel is completely booked. Try and find a barbecue restaurant that takes reservations that has one for four days. 
done. Wow. You are going to have to take a takeout because there is no barbecue available right now. But it's just, it's going to be a lot of fun. But it's the perfect setup because in Kansas City, in Kansas City, in 2026, they get World Cup games. So I don't mm. know for any of the soccer people that follow, the World Cup is coming here and Kansas City was one of the chosen cities. And so all of these things are just leading from one thing into another. It's going to be huge things for Kansas City. And this is a great town. I mean, it has its problems like every other town, but it is a fantastic town and they love to host people. So I hope everyone coming here um, is ready to eat really good food and to have a good time because they're going to. And you're going, so you have press credentials to go to the draft. Are you going Mm -hmm. to have a good time or are you going to work? Yeah, um, well, a little bit of both. So the first (laughs) round will be a lot of work because that's where all of our, the majority of our work comes from is when the players that are there and they, as they get picked and we get to interview them and that sort of thing. Um, I will go for the second round. Also, I'll be there just in case any of those extra players are still around. Um, Plus we get, you know, different stat sheets. It's, it's really interesting. Um, Last year was the first year I ever had press credentials and it was in Vegas. So it was Mm -hmm. a little odd. It'll be interesting to see how it's a little different this year. But um, so that'll be a lot of fun. But then I am taking that. I'll be done. I have my house is completely full. Every spare bed and couch (laughs) I have is completely taken right now. And so that'll be fun. And so I'm going to take some time and show them around you know my friends around the city and sure. and and then we i'm taking making them all go to a soccer game which our soccer team is horrible but i'm gonna make them go anyway, so. <laughs> it's about the experience right it it's is, not always right? about winning yeah. and losing come on yeah we always lose we're used to that <laughs> <laughs> i found it interesting this year i think uh only 17 players invited to the draft yeah. is that the right not number not very many yeah a lot less well, I don't know. I can't remember. I think we had maybe 20 last year, but it's discovered. It's interesting to me that more and more of these players aren't going to the draft. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much that will change over the years, how that will affect the draft itself, because it became such a spectacle and people wanted to see them walk us across the stage and get their hat and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And even though we hate Roger Goodell, hug Roger Goodell, you know, that was a big <laughs> thing. And so, um, but it's changing. And what's happening for, for a lot of people, they want to be at home with their family, but they're also having sponsored parties. So these guys are mm, getting paid yeah. to have these parties with these people that are sponsored by Red Bull or sponsored by someone. And so it's another way for them to make money for themselves. I don't you know, take your money, honey. Yeah, That's, right. I'm all about that. Yeah. But I think it'll be interesting over the next few years as if those numbers start to dwindle even more, how that might affect how the draft is done. Well, and I wonder too, if it speaks to just how um, kind of convoluted this draft class is. There's, there's such Maybe. a lack of consensus on what's going to happen between the top five and 50, for example, and guys are all over the place in, on consensus boards and mock drafts. And, and nobody, nobody wants to be that guy that's invited to the draft and falls. Yeah. Right. And the cameras are on him and he's not picked at the end of day one, which is why I found the most interesting of the invitees to be a guy that I have talked about at length on the show. And mm-hmm. I get a lot of kickback from fans on it because they don't think he's a first rounder. But Keon White, the big defensive end edge oh, player out of Georgia yeah. Tech, is one of the invitees. The league takes everything into account when they put these invites mm-hmm. out and they expect the players that show up to probably be first round picks, don't they? Mm-hmm. Oh, they absolutely do. They expect them to be go either first or high in second. Mm-hmm. So be one of those first picks in the second round. And and we've seen over the years where sometimes that hasn't worked out. There were a couple of players in Vegas last year who had to wait until the middle of the second day. Yeah. Um, and that just, it was a bad look, right? Like yeah. they had worn their suit and then they didn't have it anymore. You know what I mean? So it was just kind of weird. But at the same time, I think that the NFL, they listen, they talk to these teams. They're like, what are we thinking here? I think that they 
obviously have their pulse on where they think a player should go or is probably going to go. And why would they, they wouldn't want to purposely embarrass someone. So it's probably a pretty good idea that he's there, that he'll go high. I mean, the NFL has an advisory committee and they, they advise some of these players who are thinking about coming out where their intel indicates that they think what range they might be drafted in. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. They, they take that into account. So I want to ask you this, and, and, and maybe this is something that you'll be able to answer a little bit better after the draft experience, because sure. certainly I want to have you back on here to talk about how it all went down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious as to whether Seattle could ever be a viable spot for the draft. Obviously, the fan base is here and the passion for the team and everything else. But as far as climate, facilities, things like that, mm-hmm. um, what do you think? Well, from what from what I've seen from the la- the couple of drafts that I have been to, and and I've gone as a fan before, um, it's interesting to me that what they really need is they need a space where they can have the draft. So the geolo- you know, the actual physical area to have, you know, all the back rooms because every you know they have the player green room, they have the media room, they have this, they have that. You have to have this physical space for all of that. Plus, then the giant um, you know stage and everything that's put up up yeah. front. But then you have to be within a certain proximity, be able to put up the draft experience. And that's what really takes up all of the room. I don't know if everyone knows, but the draft experience is free and fans can get in. But they have a 40-yard dash. They have um, autograph signing. They have a quarterback area where you're throwing ball. You ha- they have a full NFL shop of course. And they have, you know, like all they have a stage and then they have a concert at the end of each night in that area. So that is what takes up the biggest physical amount of space in Kansas city. That is going to be right in front of the world war one museum, which is a huge open area. So that's it. They, it's perfect. And it's literally right next to where they have the draft. So yeah. in Seattle, it's hard to imagine a space in downtown Seattle where they could necessarily pull that off that I can think of off the top of my head. You have to have that physical space for the draft experience. In Vegas, they had it just slightly off the strip. And so the draft stage and the fan experience are literally in the same giant Caesars parking lot. Hmm. And then there was the buildings right next to it where we could go inside and where the media rooms were and the interviews and everything like that. So I think it's interesting. You would have to have that an easy area for people to get in and out and be able to have that space for the stage outside and for the draft experience outside. But I don't think weather would be an issue. I mean, they had in Vegas, it was 90 degrees. It was miserable out there. And so I don't necessarily think that, you know, I know there could be rain, but they'd probably still do. Well, they had in Cleveland two years ago, right? Was it two years ago? It was in Cleveland. Three years ago, three, two or three. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it rained. They had most of the set outside. It's a suggestion here. And this is something you and I talked about Mm -hmm. before we started recording that um, they might be able to make use of Safeco Field, obviously with the retractable roof, Mm -hmm. they could use that. Um, Although, you know, this is the time of year that the Mariners are playing. And so they'd have to work around that, put in a schedule request and that kind of thing. Well, the draft stage and the area, at least in Vegas, and I think it has been, it was in Cleveland too. They put up their own covering for the top of it. So the stage Mm -hmm. is covered and then those super fans you see in the different sections up front um they're all covered and so it would really only be then you know the draft experience that they would have to worry about but i think it's completely possible i mean you have the infrastructure for mass transit and that is one of their biggest thing is getting people in and out so i definitely think it could happen and it would be a lot of fun to see well you're gonna have a lot of fun and i want to have you back on the show uh shortly after 
talk yeah, about the experience absolutely. and and certainly break down how you think the draft went for Seattle, but also as someone who was on the ground floor there, just the experience talking to some of those guys and hopefully, uh, hopefully among the players that you get to interview, uh, one of them, if not two of them, will be a future Seahawk. <laughs> oh, so fun. So fun. So good to have you back on the show and see you again. Um, have a great time at the draft and we'll catch up shortly thereafter. All right. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was uh, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. Definitely follow her and listen to her stuff. Great to have her back on the show. All right. So um, I promised you a mock draft, right? Mock draft Monday. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to give you my uh, my fave five as I continue that series, breaking down my five favorite players at any given position that I think uh, I'd like to see a Seahawk fits. And this one's interesting uh, and timely, I think. I'm going to talk about centers today. This is, this is a need that has widely been uh, accepted by the Seahawk fan base as one that's a priority going into this draft. Um, even after the Seahawks signed Evan Brown, a guy who two years ago was a starting center for Detroit, um, put up a great PFF grade, outstanding pass blocker, uh, a guy who's only, I think, 27 years old, um, and is an upgrade, it appears, over Austin Blythe, um, and maybe even over Ethan Posick, who, um, you know, kind of received a lot of uh, wrath from Seahawks fans and then went and had a really good year in Cleveland last year on a one-year deal before signing a longer extension this year. Evan Brown is just on a one-year deal. So it, 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 it welcomes or it invites the question of, is he the long-term answer? Uh, it appears that the Seahawks are looking as hard for a center in this draft as we all want them to. Steve Hutchinson, the Hall of Famer, former Seahawk, right? Former Viking great, who has been a consultant for the team the last couple of years on uh, offensive line play. Uh, it was reported that he met with Wisconsin center Joe Tipman this week and worked him out. Uh, we have also heard reports this offseason that the Seahawks really like John Michael Schmitz, the consensus, I would say, top overall rated center in this draft out of Minnesota, um, that they met with him at the Senior Bowl, really enamored with him. And there was a report from Tony Pauline about a month ago that they might take him at 20 because they don't they don't think he would last. Or maybe they trade down a little bit. And Pauline mentioned at the time they like Schmitz and Tittman. Maybe a short trade back if they're assured of getting one of the two. Which will lead into the idea of context that we're going to talk about in a minute. Because I hear this a lot. It's like no one's ever happy, Right. All Seahawks fans want us to take is a guy that can start as a rookie and be a dominant starting center. It's a position that they've taken lightly for years. They want that. But then when I suggest taking one of those at 20, I get a lot of pushback. That's way too high for a center. That's not good enough value. Uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit in my mock draft that's coming up. I prefer Tipman over Schmitz. And here's why. First of all, he's younger, right? I, I've talked on here how I, I I don't really care about the age thing, but all things being equal, if it comes down to two prospects that you have graded the same, then I'm going to take the younger player. I think Tippmann's 22, John Michael Schmitz just, what's the date today? I think today might be his birthday. I'll have to double check. I looked this up the other day. I think he just turned 25. Uh, but John Michael Schmitz is a guy that didn't test great, isn't the dynamic athlete, but you turn on the tape and he just does everything right run blocking, pass blocking. He can move well enough. Um, he's one of those guys that looks on tape like he would test better than he did. 
Uh, but a guy that can start day one, make all the line calls, plug and play, right? Um, Tipman is bigger. So Schmitz is 6'4", 320. Tipman's 6'6", 317. And you'd think for a guy that long, maybe he wouldn't move as well. But man, his tape is fun. And it's fun because he gets to the second level and he just looks for guys to destroy in the running game. Uh, but he also has, um, he's the better athlete of the two. I think his upside is greater. Uh, it's interesting to me that Hutchinson uh, moved over there. And again, the same reports that doesn't really matter who they prefer, Tipman or Schmitz, I guess we'll find out. But they, they, they may be a consideration at that second first round pick, possibly after a small trade back. Um, but be prepared for that. And I'll come back to that in just a moment when we talk about context. Uh, number three guy on my list is a guy that's kind of interesting. His name is Cody Mock. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's the dude missing the two front teeth out of North Dakota State. 6'6", 301, started his career as a tight end, was moved to tackle. He's the best athlete of this bunch. He's one of the best athletes in the entire offensive line group, tackle or guard. And even though he played left tackle at North Dakota State, played it well against lower level competition, obviously. At the senior bowl, he played all over the place. Some people see him more as a guard. But he took some snaps at center. And what intrigues me about him is his tenacity, uh, his passion for the game, the way he just approaches the game. Similar to Tipman, just loves to pancake guys. But also, I think he's the quickest of these players. And his upside is immense. Uh, number four, Luke. Uh, I've been pronouncing it Whipler. I meant to check before we went on air. Dana thinks it's Wipler. Um, uh, he's a guy out of Ohio State, 6'3", 300. Again, another guy that could probably start as a rookie. He's that experienced, playing at a high level in the Big Ten. Um, I've likened him to a, a bigger, um, slightly stronger Austin Blythe. And a perfect scheme fit. A guy that can get out and move in the outside zone scheme, uh, outstanding technique and pass protection. Man, his drills at the combine, his drop sets uh, were a thing of beauty. Um, some scouting reports say his core strength and his ability to anchor isn't as good as some of these other guys in the draft, but it's good enough. And he's a guy that if you decide to wait a little bit on center, he's all over the place on these boards. I've seen him go top of the second. I've seen him go in the third and fourth. Um, maybe he's a guy you can get a little bit later on. And then I thought long and hard about number five, which is why I'm going to give you a couple of honorable mentions. Well, first, let's do the honorable mentions. Uh, Jake Andrews, a guy out of Troy that they've met with, is one of their top 30 visits. Very intriguing, lower level competition, obviously, 6'3", 315, but he tested really well. Good athlete. A guy that played guard and just moved to center last year. Alex Forsyth out of Oregon. Um, I kind of put him in that same category as Luke Whipler. First time I turned on the tape, the first play I saw from Alex Forsyth and from the center position, he's snapping the ball on a direct center snap and he's, he's getting out and pulling off tackle. Uh, great scheme fit for the outside zone may have some strength issues, but those can be improved. Ricky Stromberg out of Arkansas is another guy that I like that has started games at both guard and center. And I've talked about this on the show, how I would love to add, because I think we all agree there's a need to add a guard long-term as well. Phil Haynes on a one-year deal. Damian Lewis in the last year of his deal. Jake Curran, the top backup at both spots. The undrafted free agent. So we also want to add a guard in this, in this circumstance. I'd love to add a guard that has played or can play center. You know, they tried 
messing around with Phil Haynes doing that a little bit. It wasn't really a fit. Damian Lewis started a game at center, but they haven't considered moving him full time. I'd love to have a guy with that versatility. Obviously, Evan Brown kind of hedges that this year, but long term, it'd be fun to see a guy that could do both. Uh, and Juice Scruggs is another guy that seems to be uh, really rising up draft boards. Wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl, played in the Shrine game. Um, from Penn, Penn State. He's another guy. So my number five, I went with Ole Oluwatimi. And some people think he's not a great scheme fit because he's not as uh, dynamic of, of an athlete on the move. Uh, but he started 40 plus games at center for Michigan in the Big Ten playing in a pro style offense. He's the strongest of this group. Um, Tippmann might technically be stronger, but he's longer, right? He has, he has a little, he plays a little high and he's learned to kind of corral his leverage a little bit. Oluwatimi at 6'3", 310. He's got the perfect build and he's a strong dude. And, and the reason I like him, even though he might not be as dynamic of a lateral mover as the other guys that we've talked about, is think about our division, right? Think about facing Eric Armstead and now Javon, Javon Kirkland in, uh, in San Francisco. Uh, think about facing Aaron Donald, right? It's those types of guys that you play twice a year uh, that I think we need to get stronger up the middle. I think teams really figured out late in the year last year that Austin Blythe was a uh, liability in pass protection and you could, and, and they started to stunt more and kind of, that's how they were rattling Gino later in the year is getting that internal pressure. Um, so those are my guys. Uh, and we'll get back to that in just a little bit. Dana and I talked about this earlier in the show, but I didn't give you names. Five players released today. Uh, two receivers, Aesop Winston, the former Coug, and Connor Weddington, uh, former Stanford Cardinal, who's from Sumner, Washington, uh, were both released, as well as Darwin Thompson, the running back, former Kansas City Chief. He's been on the Seahawks practice squad. Cornerback Chris Steele and defensive tackle Jared Hewitt, who's hung around for a couple of years. I don't really know what to make of this. They didn't have to release them today. They have plenty of room on their roster. The, the draft's a week and a half away. 52 players now on the 90-man roster. You're not going to add 48 rookies over the next three weeks. Um, I think this is just a case of housekeeping and, and determining as they're now. John Schneider talked about it on a show the other day. Everyone, they've done all the pro days and everything. Now everyone's back home and they're finalizing their draft board. And as they finalize their draft board, as, as John says, we build our draft board to our roster. They're also evaluating the roster. And these, these to me, were just guys that they just thought, with what we're about to do, there just isn't a place for them on the roster. Not to say that they wouldn't bring these guys back in the practice squad later on. They tend to like to bring guys that are familiar with the program. Uh, I promised you a mock draft and each time I do these, uh, on Mondays, I, I try to take a different approach, right? Last week's approach was to do two hours and 10 minutes of a live mock draft with Michael Thompson. That was certainly fun. It got a lot of interesting feedback from you guys. Um, today I tried to keep it, keep it simple. And I tried to base it on two things. One is reported interest. Typically guys that they may have met with. And then I tried to base it on things that you guys have been telling me over and over and over again for the last few weeks that you want. And I tried to see if maybe I could do a draft where I could check all those boxes. So I just opened up Pro Football Network's draft simulator last night and one try, the board fell a certain way where I was able to check those boxes in a way that I really liked 
And I think you guys are going to like this too. There's always someone that doesn't. And I think what I do at the top is going to rile some people up. But as Dana and I talk, there really isn't a perfect solution at five. So let's bring it in here. Uh, if you're watching the live stream or you're watching on uh, YouTube and take a look at this. So I didn't trade down from five just because I wanted to keep it simple, as I said. Um, and I didn't want to end up with 14 draft picks, right? I want to see what it would look like if I went Witherspoon at five um, instead of Tyree Wilson, instead of Will Anderson. And in this case, Will Anderson was off the board. And instead of Jalen Carter, because I still, as much as I have said, that I want him to be the pick because as a player, he fits a need and a role on this team that if he clicks in the long term, would impact this roster in the most positive way. But I still tend to lean, and it's close right now. It might be 55-45. I tend to lean to, on draft night, at five anyway, he will not be under consideration for the Seahawks. So I went Witherspoon. The reports are out there. Uh, Brady Henderson on ESPN talked about their significant interest in him a few days ago. Corbin Smith told me personally, significant interest in Devin Witherspoon. He's talked a lot about it on his Twitter feed. And then two days ago, no reported meeting, but Devin Witherspoon was posting pictures on his Instagram story from Seattle and from what appeared to be Lumen Field. If your word, here's what I'm going to say about this, and I'll try not to belabor the point. If you're concerned about cornerback being that high, as I said with Dana just a few minutes ago, just imagine the pairing, first of all. Imagine the impact. If you have a lockdown, tenacious, this guy's a dog. He's an animal at left corner, and then you have Tariq Woolen at 6'4", locking guys down on the right side. And if you haven't watched Devin Witherspoon tape yet, do it. Go to YouTube, type in Devin Witherspoon, and don't, Watch. You can watch the highlights if you want to, but try and find full game tape. It's out there. Um, the way this guy locks down receivers and the way he hits in the running game, A, is, is you can see why Pete Carroll's in love with him and John Snyder. And B, yeah, this is a guy that's exciting. So for the sake of this exercise, I went Witherspoon at five. Now, maybe they do trade down to seven or eight and can still get him and then we can add another pick in here. 20, though, I did trade down, and there you can see it. There you can see my top-rated center is there. Again, based on reports, Steve Hutchinson went and worked him out. And this guy, feel free to just type in Joe Tipman highlights. Because the center position, sometimes I enjoy watching the center position as much as any because they are involved in every play. But if you're not into that, just watch his highlights. And you'll fall in love. Then at 52, I'm still able to get Keanu Benton. There you go. I was asked about it on the stream earlier when I was talking to Dana. He's been one of my favorite players all throughout this process. If you have any questions about Benton, just, just YouTube, just search for uh, Wisconsin versus Michigan State 2022. First three, three plays of the game. First three consecutive plays of the game, he absolutely destroys what Michigan State is trying to do on offense. He is a poor man's Jalen Carter. They're built similar. Similar game. He's got some pass rush upside, but he's very strong at the point of attack against the running game. Uh, good hand usage, tenacious, nonstop motor, no questions about his work ethic or character. And then I'm still able to get Siaki Ika at 62. So I double down on defensive 
tackle, although Benton is one of those guys like Carter that can play the three or the five technique. That's what I love about him. He can move all, he can play the nose, but I think he's more effective as a true three, four defensive end. So now you're talking about Ika as a young Al Woods, right? Might not rack up a lot of sacks, but he's 335 pounds. He's going to, he's going to control the middle. He's going to eat blocks and gaps. And then you have Benton and Draymond Jones on the edges with Jerron Reed rotating in. Uh, that's exciting to me. And um, the fact that I was able to sandwich all of that around number 37, Jack Campbell. So my biggest frustration as I do mock drafts these days is I, I can't get Campbell without reaching. But there he is at 37. And usually because I have to use 37 to address the defensive line or edge. So I took a little bit of a chance here and didn't do that. And I get Jack Campbell, the truest Mike linebacker in this draft. A guy that surprised everybody with his elite testing numbers at the combine at 6'4", 235, 240 pounds. A guy that can absolutely no doubt play inside linebacker. You can groom him behind Bobby Wagner. There aren't many guys like him in this draft. Great in the locker room. Uh, better than you think in coverage. He can come up and take on blocks and tackle. Dude loves to hit. He's kind of a throwback. So my first five picks, I was able to get a lockdown corner to pair with Tariq Woolen. Joe Tipman, my favorite center in the draft. Jack Campbell, my favorite interior linebacker in the draft. Keanu Benton, one of my favorite defensive tackles, really versatile and a scheme fit. And 62, the best, I think, pure nose tackle in the draft. Maybe Mazzy Smith is right there with him, but Siaki Ika out of Baylor. Check those five boxes. So that gave me a little bit. And what allowed me to do this, and, and those of you who have seen a bunch of my mock drafts will see, uh, usually in those first five picks somewhere, I take a receiver, sometimes a tight end, just because there are some dynamic players there. And I want to add a third receiver. I think it's important. I want to add a tight end in this draft uh, so that we're kind of layering the roster moving forward. And it's a deep class. I want to tap into that. By foregoing skill positions, I'm able to hit the things that I really want to, which gave me a little bit of leeway at 83. And this is the weirdest pick of the draft for me. And this was truly one that in the moment was best player on the board. And I don't want to overthink this one. It literally was best player on the, on the board. There wasn't a tackle there that I thought was better than Benton or Ike. There wasn't an edge there that I thought I couldn't get equal value later. There wasn't a guard there that I thought would be better than what you see. I did at 123. Darius rush at 83 is a fucking steal. All day long. Dominated the senior bowl. He's a Seahawk corner. He's 6'2", 200. Uh, he, can, he can mirror. He can play press. He can come up and hit you. Uh, I don't think he'll be there at 83. He had really climbed draft boards for a while, but if he were to fall like that, Dan, you're nuts for taking two. Well, you know what? Look at this. I'm going to put this comment here from New Gash. Uh, Witherspoon's weight is a major concern at 180 pounds. I can see him playing slot. With his game, the way he hits and comes up in the running game. Can you imagine? Yeah, five. Is that high for a slot receiver? Sure. But I'm going to get to that in a minute. It wasn't my intention. It's not my plan on this draft. And I know I'm going to get comments. Why are you nuts? Listen to the reasoning. This truly was best player available for me. I could have taken another running back I liked. I could have added another edge that I like. 
or defensive tackle, but he was truly best fit and best player on the board at that point. If you hate it, just imagine another player there. Do a couple simulations and see who's available in around 83 and plug him in there. You know, I could have gone with the guard there. Um, I just liked it. Okay. And then at 123, it took a little bit of a little bit of a shot. Andrew Voorhees would be a second round pick all day long in this draft. And a rookie plug and play starter at guard who can also in a pinch play tackle at USC played left tackle and played guard has taken snaps as center was going to be a day two pick a second round pick all day long till he tore his ACL at the combine doing drills. Uh, you take this guy at 123, you redshirted him for a year. And I talked about it earlier. Phil Haynes on a one-year deal and Damian Lewis on an expiring contract. And you have, this is like, this is like trading for an extra two next year. Uh, he may have actually worked his way up into the back half of the first round. I think he's that good. Um, and so this is a pick for next year. But you have Evan Brown and you've taken a center at 30. Right. And then at 151, love that I was able to get Roshan Johnson there. Michael Thompson, and I talked about him the other day. Uh, Michael's comp for him is, is Chris Carson, a big running back that can catch the ball well, good in pass protection. He can run inside, he can run outside. He's dynamic enough. Um, I think he's a perfect compliment to Ken Walker. Uh, and then I still get a receiver that I really love at 154. These are those almost back to back fifth round picks in Michael Wilson out of Stanford, a guy that Doug Baldwin absolutely loves. He's one of the few receivers in this class that are in that six foot six one range that are fast enough to be a downfield threat, but a good enough route runner to operate in the middle of the field. There aren't many of those. There are slot guys. And then there's some six, four, six, five long speed guys. Uh, Wilson's uh, kind of that in-between guy that can play inside or outside. Really like him. Um, the Seahawks have looked hard at tackles in this draft. Um, and, and typically in their top 30 visits, they've brought in guys that project to go higher. Dewan Jones, who uh, Dana mentioned, who would be a late first round pick most likely. And then Tyler Steen out of Alabama. They brought him in for a visit. He's widely projected as a second round pick. Uh, Jake Witt is a guy who's rising up draft boards because he had a phenomenal pro day, really tested well. Good athlete, a projectable guy, 6'7", 302 out of Northern Michigan. He's a guy that you draft uh, for the future with Stone Forsyth, you know, coming into the end of his contract and, and uh, he's a developmental guy. And they typically like to take these guys late in the draft. And then my final pick in this one, I don't think Dylan Horton's going to be available in the seventh round as he is. If he is, you take this pick and you, and you run with it. There were some other edges I considered. Considered edge at 198 also. There were some guys I liked. Um, but I saw how low this simulator, so I kind of cheated. Saw how low this simulator had Horton rated. Um, the draft network for example, has him as their 77th overall prospect. Um, he's just one of those guys, 6'4", 257, um, played out of position, played inside mostly uh, off the in, inside shoulder of the tackle at TCU last year um, instead of just taking advantage of him on the edge. Nonstop motor, high energy, 100% uh, effort all the time, enough quickness uh, to get to the quarterback from the edge, but plays the run really well as well. Um I wouldn't be mad in this case if you hate the Darius Rush pick at 83 and I get it. You want to move Dylan Horton up to 83? Okay. Although there's probably edges that were there at 83 that I would have liked a little bit better. But um, So just 
this was just kind of fun I had with that scenario. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you would do differently next week for our last mock draft Monday before the draft. I am going to put together a draft. I may not even use a simulator. I'm going to take a couple of consensus big boards and try to get a more accurate ranking of where the world views these prospects. Try to put together my perfect draft, what I want them to do. I haven't done that yet. Keep that in mind before you come at me with guns blazing on these, right? This is playing around scenarios. It's playing a game. It's having some fun. This is working scenarios. You know who else does this? The teams. The actual NFL teams. They do this. And they play around with the wildest scenarios you could ever imagine. Trying to prepare themselves for any possibility at any pick. Um, But next week I'll do the one that I think mirrors what I want them to do in a perfect world. And then on draft night, remember uh, for the first round, I will be uh, live streaming uh, along with the broadcast of the draft and reacting to it live and having some guests join me as well. I'm going to do something called a shadow draft. And this is something that Keith Myers introduced me to when he and I were working together at 12th man rising, uh, where when the Seahawks are on the clock, you write down really quick who you would take in that moment before their pick is announced. And you can't cheat. You have to stay on top of it. You have to write it down before the pick is announced or leaked. And then you look at it after the fact and compare the draft class you would have had with who they ended up taking. And obviously it ends up kind of evolving throughout the draft in the same way because a guy that you might've taken at a certain pick, they take someone else, they've addressed that need now. And so that's a guy that you're not going to take at their next pick and so on. But uh, it's a lot of fun to look at afterwards and and um, and uh, always elicits a lot of interesting feedback. So um, thank you for joining me again. Remember on YouTube, hit subscribe. Best way to support the channel. Uh, added 200 subscriptions in the last week and a half. Really appreciate you for... Uh, for uh, commenting and uh, the nice words you've had and the reviews and, and just uh, pitching in uh, during these live streams. Uh, also remember the audio version uh, gets uploaded within usually half an hour after we do these shows live. You can listen to those on any podcast app that you prefer. Um, I produce them on Spotify, but they go out to Apple and Stitcher and Podbean and all of those different podcast apps. So um, join me again I'm not going to give too much away, but follow me on Twitter at Seahawks forever because uh, I've got a show planned for tonight um, that I think is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, It won't be released until tomorrow, but if you subscribe on YouTube, you'll get the notification of when we go live. You get to watch the live stream tonight and then uh, and then the audio version will be uh, tomorrow. So I'm not going back to back on the same day. And then this Friday, really excited about this CBS Sports Emery Hunt. He is a draft expert, also produces his own draft guide. uh, Dana uh, got me connected with him. We did a show together with him on the Field Goals podcast. He's going to come on and get down and dirty and dig deep on some of these draft prospects and talk about some small school guys and some late round sleepers and guys uh, whose names you're going to want to know as we get closer to the draft just a week and a half away now. So thank you again for uh, watching and listening. I am Dan Viennes. This is Seahawks Forever. We'll see you next time.